Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. About 39 years ago, I learned how to snow ski at Paley Peaks. It was a relatively new ski resort, and I took youth groups there for years and years with the dream of someday maybe I would get to ski powder in Colorado. And so probably probably 25 years ago, I started taking kids to Christ and Youth Conference. We had a ski retreat, and we'd, we'd stay in a hotel at Denver between Christmas and New Year's, and... We'd go up to Loveland or we'd go to Winter Park or somewhere and ski. And I, can't, I remember the first time I took them, it was sub-zero. It was like eight above or eight below. It was crazy. You had to get by goggles and the whole, whole nine yards. But, but I was going to get to, to ski powder. And it, I just couldn't wait. First time I got up. It was, it was really, really nice, but they didn't tell me that when you ski powder, when you ski powder, you have to kind of lean back on your skis and keep your tips up. Otherwise, if you hit a big pile of powder and you tip your skis down, you go down. And so, and I didn't know that. And so, the first time down the hill, and I was skiing powder, I, I plowed into this big pile of pl- powder, and I was this far under the snow. I mean, no lie, that far, and it took a long time to dig myself out. It was that, that, but, but, I, I, I want, I, because I want to be relevant and practical and helpful and hopeful, I want you to know that if you're ever in a snow avalanche and you get completely covered and you're disoriented and you don't know whether you're up or down because you're packed into that snow, you make a little hole in the snow and then you spit. And if the spit goes one way or the other, the opposite way is up. So that's the way you tunnel. Believe it or not, I just saved your life in an avalanche. Thank you. I don't, I don't even hear that. All I hear is laughter. So if you're ever disoriented, I just want you to know that we've all been disoriented. We've been pushed, pulled, up, down, divided in a lot of different ways over the last few years. And that is disorienting. And that's why we're preaching. I'm preaching the series through Romans that I'm entitled True North. And it's all about the Lordship of Jesus Christ to recalibrate us to Him, who is our true North. And last week we talked about that we were all under a curse, that we suffer because of original sin, because we're human, and, and, and things don't go the way they should, and we make decisions that have bad outcomes. But to realize that we were under a curse, but because Jesus Christ came and died for us, he has reversed the curse now. And so we don't live under that curse any longer, but we still experience some of the things that go along with the curse because we have an enemy 
Satan, who is limited, he has limit in his dominion over the world, but he is here to kill and steal and destroy us. He has a purpose, and we are spiritually at war. Peter says it, the Apostle Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan is real, and he's active today. Now, if you're a Marine, they would say, keep your head on a swivel and always be alert to that influence in your life. That brings us, if you're joining us online, I've been preaching through the book of Romans. It's really been a life goal for me to spend some time in Romans for you. So this is kind of heavy teaching, what I'm doing today. It's heavy preaching. And I don't do that all the time because I think for some of you, you love it. And for some of you, you're not at that mature level yet to take in all of this. And so I know that I'm trying to shotgun a lot of what Romans is for you, but I think this is really, really important for your spiritual well-being. The big question today in Romans chapter 6 is, why am I not making any more progress in my personal and spiritual growth? Why do I feel like sometimes I make three steps forward and then I go four steps back, and I'm frustrated. I'm not living that holy life that I want to live. I'm not living the life. I don't like the responses that I have. I have things that I need to repent for all the time. And if you knew everyone's heart, we would all probably say to you, we're all in the same boat. And Paul says, Here in Romans, he says, here's our goal, to be formed into the likeness and to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to encourage you, if you're in that frustrating point where I have been several times in my spiritual walk with the Lord, I just want you to know that you don't fall in and out of God's grace. Growing up, I had a preacher buddy or a preacher preacher down the block who my buddy was his son and we'd go to this church on Sunday evenings because he would go to my VBS or our VBS and I would go to his VBS at at their church and I think I've told you before that my mom didn't believe in daycare she would just send me to every vacation Bible school that there was because I was just a hyperactive kid that needed to be outside the house and uh, Mom, if you're watching today, and I know you are, um, you did a good job. You didn't fail. I was just a handful. Sorry. I love you. Look forward to next month when we get to be together. Anyway, know that when God, when you come and know the grace of God, you're saved by faith, God takes a hold of you. And He is your Father. You are His child. And you're not escaping grace that easily. Paul goes on, remember, well, actually last week, I want to kind of go there first. In verse 20 and 21 of chapter 5 of Romans, he says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace 
abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is really, really good news. You see, the law is there not to create sin in us. It simply reveals how sinful we are. And that will always be a struggle for us in the flesh. But realize this, folks, that following Jesus is not about keeping the rules. And if you were raised in a church like I was that was, you know, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with girls that do, and it was always rules and boundaries and limits and laws, that was how I was raised. And so this grace awakening that occurred in my life changed me from the inside out. And I hope it does for you. Because grace is radical and it's scandalous. You see, you cannot out-sin God's grace because you are not that good of a sinner. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, you know, I'm really, really good sinner, Chris. You can't out-grace God. That's how scandalous, that's how radical Now, when I preach this and parents are sitting with their children and they are thinking, well, my child is a sinner and uh, he has or she has a hard time keeping the rules and you're preaching grace, you're not helping us, Chris. And some people in Rome, when Paul was writing this, were kind of afraid of grace too, especially the Jews, the law keepers. You're saying, well, everybody's just going to go crazy. And the question is, won't people take advantage of grace? Paul answers that question in Romans 6, 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, people are going to take care, I mean, take advantage of grace. It's going to be like a sin visa card. Just charge it up and max it out like a lot of you do and never pay the bill. Ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. What was that? <laughs> Somebody knows their parents' credit card bill out there. <laughs> Maybe that was an amen. I don't know. See, salvation is a free gift to all who receive it. It was not cheap. It cost Jesus his life, but we receive it freely. And here's what Paul says in verse 2. He says, by no means. He's saying, no, 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 no. Don't do that. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know? That we've received this grace extravagantly, radically, it's scandalous. And then he says, don't you know we've died to sin? So what does this key term, dying to sin, mean? What does it mean? It doesn't mean Christians will no longer want to sin because we all have a sin wanter. doesn't mean that. And we've got to understand something. Where we are in history, we are in the already but not yet. And what that means is that we have victory over sin because Jesus died for our sin. 
And yet at the same time, we still struggle in this life. And Paul is encouraging us that, that even, even with victory, even with sin being a choice, we are still living in this human condition under, under Adam's sin, the original sin, even though we have victory and we've been forgiven. So dying to sin, not, not, it's not the impossibility of sin, but the moral incongruity of it, meaning that it doesn't fit a Christian's life to continue to sin habitually. It doesn't work. See, the moment you give your life to Jesus, you are no longer under the ruling power of sin. That's what Paul is saying, that we have been freed. Tim Keller says it this way, to die to sin doesn't mean that sin is no longer within you or that it has no power and influence within you. It, it does. But sin no longer can dictate over you, though you may give into it. First John 2.1 says it well. The Apostle John says it this way. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, but if anyone does sin, what he's really saying, when you sin, because we will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. God has provided a way. Now, let's look at verse 3 and 4 of Romans 6, and I want you to Count the number of no's, K-O-K-N-O-W, in this passage. Because Paul wants the Roman church to know this, but he also wants you to know this. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul changes gear in this moment, and he talks about being baptized and and being united in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I would like to say to you, like some some people say, that this is a waterless baptism here in Scripture, and it's talking figuratively, but it's not. It's literal. Paul is saying when we are immersed in water, in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, for the remission of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's not optional. And and, and it's to be dunked in. And, and I like to call it to, to dip, to immerse, to put them down in the water until they bubble. Then I hold them there a moment to wait and see if they think that I'm going to let them back up or not. Now that's crazy. That is crazy that, that we do a ritual like that, that that is commanded in the New Testament. In every conversion experience in the book of Acts, it's there. Baptism, water baptism, how inconvenient, how embarrassing, how shameful is that? But Paul's saying here, this unites us with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are to do it because we die to sin in this way. Now, it's not a work. 
It's not something that we're doing. It's God's grace working in and through us. It's the outward symbol of the inward change that we are being saved by grace through faith. And we've just got to realize that 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 is going on in our lives. To baptize means, in the Greek, to dip, to immerse. That's crazy. But that is how God designed it. You are putting to death your old self and resurrected to walk as a new creation. God is doing a transformative work. And then Paul writes on in verse 5, he says, If we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Don't you want to be a part of that resurrected life and looking forward to heaven and a future with him? And this united is a horticultural term. I like to call it an agricultural term. It it means to be grafted in, a plant that's being grafted in to, to this new life. Then he uses know a second time in verse 6. He says, we know, and he wants you to know, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. When we are saved, whether you realize it or not, whether you feel it or not, the, 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 the chains of sin are released from you and you are free in Christ. Sin no longer has domain. So we've been justified by faith, and this sanctifying process or sanctification process that we're talking about is basically unlearning all those sin patterns that are in our lives. And we have them, don't we? I have them. Now, Tim Keller says it this way, Paul is not saying that Christians cannot commit individual acts of sin, nor even that they cannot struggle with habitual sins. He is saying that they cannot go on abiding in the realm of sin. They cannot continue in it deliberately without distaste or diminishment. They do not live in sin anymore. Instead, they are alive to God. We have been, we have passed from death to life. Now you might say, Chris, well, I don't experience my Christian life that way. I feel a lot of guilt. I feel a lot of conviction. I, I want to give you a different perspective on conviction. That, that when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, it's a gift that he's giving you. Because he's reminding you that you weren't created to be in bondage of sin. You weren't created to sin any longer. Sin has no dominion over you. You are free. And you see, conviction is different from shame. Shame says you're worthless, you're bad, you're no good. Conviction says, hey, you are made in the image of God. The Holy Spirit is here to redeem you, to help you. Now, there's always going to be a struggle, and I'm going to be preaching about that next week. So I want want to encourage you. But conviction means I've done that which is out of alignment with who I am in Christ. It's out of alignment of my identity, of who I am in Christ. And I want to remind you that the only unforgivable sin is blaspheming 
the Holy Spirit. And blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is continually sinning, 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 sinning to the point that you no longer hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You have to work at that. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, maybe I sinned against the Holy Spirit. No, you haven't. Because the Holy Spirit's convicting you right now. And he's saying to you, no, you haven't. You're still in the embrace of a God who's calling you to live differently for him. Now, in this next set of verses, we're going to see the third no. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. When I was a youth pastor, I used to take kids to the funeral home every once in a while. We'd go in the casket room. And, and I'd have to get special permission, and, and we'd, we'd go in there, and I'd say, listen, guys, dead bodies, corpses don't sin, do they? They're not tempted by sin. If a, if a pretty girl goes by, if a guy goes by, if somebody drives by with a, an, a luxury car, somebody lives in a nicer place. They're not tempted to sin or to lust after any of those things. Why? Because they are dead. Did you know that you are dead to sin? That brings us to an identity question. The question of who you are. I want you to think about who I am. Ask yourself, who am I? Let's do that out loud. Let's try that for... for, Repeat after me. Who am I? Let's try that one more time. Who am I? According to this passage of Scripture, your identity is in Jesus Christ. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are alive to God. You've been free from sin. Do you know that? Do you know who attacks that identity? Satan. When we see in the Gospels that Jesus was basically tempted three times in the wilderness when he began his ministry, what did Satan say every time? If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, he was attacking Jesus' identity. Who do you think, or what do you think Satan does to you? He attacks who you are. And you need to remind him that you are a blood-bought Christian child of God, follower of Jesus Christ. 
Satan doesn't want you to know and understand your new identity in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to know that. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.13, he says this, for us who struggle. He says, no temptation is overtaking you that it is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When you're tempted, you're called to resist Satan by the grace and the blood of Jesus. When you resist, God will provide a way of escape so you can endure. Paul goes on to say, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make your make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Again, he's saying, no, 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 no. And then the final no in this passage, it says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Now what Paul is writing to, and the point that he is making here, is there it makes a difference of what we do in the body, whether we sin or not. In our, our physical body, it makes a difference. It affects our spiritual life. There was a group, they were called antinomian Gnostics at the time of his writing that said, it really doesn't matter, sin all you want to in the body, it doesn't really matter, it won't affect your spiritual life. And the antinomian piece of that is a belief that there are no moral laws. We know Christians who think that they can sin and sin and sin and it doesn't affect their spiritual relationship with God. It does. That's what Paul is saying, that we, whoever we give ourselves to, whether to the sin nature or to God nature, we are a slave of some, someone. And, and in this moment, God is building up my character for all eternity. When we resist sin and choose to obey God. You see, you are a slave of who you choose to obey. Whether a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And, and, and an invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to go to war with your personal sin. That's where our struggle is. But no, 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 sin no longer reigns in you. It no longer reigns in me. Because Jesus took it away at the cross.
He goes on and he says, I am speaking in human terms because I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Because of your natural limitations. This is a kind of a, a, a backhanded slap to your face in this moment to the Romans. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. It's just basically saying, present yourself to God, allow Him to do His life-changing work, His transformative work in us. Paul's also saying that every one of us is addicted to something. Either we're addicted to sin or we're addicted to God and righteousness. And then Paul closes with this. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. We watch people. I watch people. Do you watch people, your loved ones, your friends, your neighbors? And, and, and you know, in your heart of hearts, they're making poor decisions. They're making sinful choices. And you know they're going to reap what they sow. And, and you love them. You care about them. Your heart goes out to them. You empathize with them because you're tempted to, if you're really, really honest. So you might go alongside of them and say, hey, I care about you. I love you. I'm concerned about the course you're taking. And at the same time, we've all seen people that have experienced the consequences of those courses of action that lead to death and destruction. And there is a price to be paid that we will pay if we don't follow the Lord. But Paul says there's an alternative. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life he says for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord see God wants to give you life and it bears forth fruit question is what kind of fruit are you producing is it life giving or is it death bringing? There's a law of nature. It's called Hebb's Law. Dr. Donald Hebb, neuroscientist. He says the cells that fire together wire together. And basically what he's saying is, if you've ever used the term force of habit, have you ever heard that term? That you've done things automatically over and over again so many times in your life that they just happen. You don't even realize you've done them. It's hard to deprogram yourself. That's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. But guess what? God can do that in our lives. He can change us. Every time you do something, it becomes easier to think or do the same thing again. That's Hep's Law. It continues. And when we sin, we etch in a neural pathway that we have to unlearn if we're being sanctified by God. And the struggle is that we want to have character in our lives that goes against that etching. 
And character is simply the collection of your choices. That we are the product of our choices. Joshua said this way. He said, "As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will choose life." Now, just in the last two days, America has gone through a radical revolution. Something occurred that, in my lifetime, I thought I would never see. That Roe、uh, Roe versus Wade was changed over in a heartbeat by the Supreme Court justices in the United States, and they've turned that responsibility back over to the states. And that's amazing, isn't it? It almost makes you want to cry, or at least for me, it did. Because we can choose life or we can choose death, folks. It's just that simple. And Paul's saying, "Why, why would you not choose life? Saved by grace through faith. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, today's the day. Now's the time. Make that decision. Be baptized into Him. Get a new identity. Have a life transformed. If you're struggling, you know." This congregation—we're we're just a bunch of strugglers that are just following Jesus to the best of our ability, and sometimes that's really good, and sometimes it's not so good. But we know that there is a God and a Holy Spirit that's working to make a difference in our lives. Now, I'd encourage you to join this body and be a part part of us, be a part of the family of God here. Would you please stand as I pray this morning? Eternal God, Father, we are so grateful for Your grace. That Father, we don't earn it, we don't deserve it. It's amazing, it's radical, it's scandalous, it's incredible, it's unbelievable. And Father, at the same time, we struggle. That sin struggle has us. A lot of times, and we do what we don't want to do, and that which we want to do, we don't do. And and Father, we just pray that Your Holy Spirit would fill us, that it would intervene, that cause us to resist, that we would endure. That Father, that our character would be such that You would be pleased. And Father, again, we just thank You for the grace that You give that we can't outsin You. Because your grace is always more, and at the same time, Father, we just pray that we will not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That we would, we would cooperate in this match. We, Father, struggle, and we need your help every day. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come this morning?